coming up on Light on the Hill. How in the world can I believe so strongly in a voice that guides me and leads me? Because my whole life I was raised by a mother and a father who taught me that the prophetic voice of God is everywhere. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. And when you learn the prophetic voice in these books, you will feel more empowered to do the work of God because you have a unique and discernible understanding of the truth found therein. I have That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is Welcome to another Light on the Hill, online at lightonthehillradio.com. We'll be continuing a series entitled In the Volume of the Book, where we're taking you from Genesis to Revelation and highlighting the areas pertinent to Bible prophecy. Today, we're in Exodus and Leviticus. Here's Pastor James Cadiz starting off in Exodus chapter 3. Here's one of the most powerful lessons that we learned from the book of Exodus, and it's one that I want you to focus on, and it starts with Exodus chapter 3 all the way through Exodus chapter 4. And although I'm not going to get into reading it, I will summarize it for you. And this is the area where the angel of the Lord, of course, we know it's the Lord himself, appears to Moses. And he gives Moses that call. Now, mind you, there is one caveat that you need to understand here. Moses was raised in the best of the best. By the time he was 40 years old and he recognized the call that God had placed upon his life to deliver his own people, he thought that he could do it in his own power with his own wisdom, with his own know-how. So he killed the Egyptian, you remember that story? And then he ended up running for his life when he realized that his countrymen snitched him out and he recognized that he was not going to be in a good place if he stayed in Egypt, so he runs off. 40 years, he's in the wilderness. 40 years, folks. 40 years was a long time. And Moses went from this mighty and articulate man who is full of strength and power to a man who can't get a word out edgewise because he's stuttering. No offense to anybody that struggles with that. I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm just simply trying to articulate what Moses had went through, the decline that he had experienced. The funny thing about it is, as many of us would look at that condition that he had developed over 40 years and call it a decline, I would actually call it an upgrade because that is what was necessary in order for Moses to learn how to depend upon God because the one thing Moses didn't realize 40 years prior was that yes, he was called by God to deliver the nation, but the one thing he didn't realize is that it would be God that would have to do it and not him. And the totality of his ministry was dependent upon his willingness to trust in God's power to do it. So he didn't realize that, so God had to break him in order to do it. Now, this is very important because there is prophecy in here right off the bat. And that was the very call that God had placed upon Moses. It starts in chapter 3. And we find out as we begin to read chapter 4, Moses was very reluctant to accept the challenge that was described in chapter 4. God laid it out for him in chapter 4. He was very reluctant. And God told Moses that he was to be the deliverer of the children of Israel from Egypt. And this experience was described early on in chapter 3. 
He said, this is what you are going to do, Moses. And the sign that uh, was promised to Moses in that verse was actually fulfilled later on in chapter 17 of Exodus, right? He was given confirmation of his prophetic role that, of course, led, that was involving him leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. God made that declaration to him. And, of course, the history was confirmed by these prophetic promises. You think about this. God told Moses, if you do what I'm asking you to do, I will lead the people out. And he did. He did it. God gave Moses a specific prophetic word. God said, I am going to use you. And this is exactly what I'm going to do. And when Moses chose to listen to God, God fulfilled the promise in Moses. Folks, can I make this promise to you based on what we read in the book of Exodus? God is in the business of doing this today. God is in the business of going to you and telling you, this is the call that I have placed upon your life. Walk according to the call. And what I will do is I will use you. And when you choose to obey God and you move in brokenness, allowing him to do the supernatural work that he wants to do in you, you will identify the power of God manifesting through his work and not through the work of your own. I think about every aspect of my life where God has done this. Every place where God has called me to do something that was weird or extraordinary, didn't even make sense. It just looked like a big fat waste of time. And I just kept listening to God and God did something extraordinary through it. He did something remarkable. I could tell you story after story after story. The story of how the church came about 18 years ago. I remember when God had called me to start the work in Signal Hill, he told me he was going to do a work here. He said that he was going to bring a body of people here that would grow and learn and make a difference in the whole world. He made that very clear to me. I had senior pastors from everywhere, left and right, Calvary Chapel guys that I looked up to, that I thought were heroes. Tell me, you're wasting your time. Don't go to Signal Hill. We tried for 20 years to get a foot in Signal Hill, and they would never allow it. And there were many people that came to me and told me that. Matter of fact, the same guy that tried to convince me that I would never make it and it would never work out was the same guy that said God told him this. God had put that in his heart. I was really struggling with him telling me that. Then he came to me the next day and he says, I have a further prophecy from the Lord. Same with the same kind of clarity. And that's the fact that you can't even be a senior pastor until you're married. Wow, that's interesting you explain that whole thing because that would be crazy heretical right there. But explain, you know, I'm not saying that to him. I'm just like, tell me that. And he says, well, the Lord showed me that you haven't even purchased a home yet. And if you hadn't even purchased a home, how in the world are you going to lead people that are struggling? And I said, that's the Lord that told you that? He told you that very clearly? Yes, it was clear. I heard it in the morning. It was the Lord. I'm thinking, Wow. Thank you, Jesus, because you just demonstrated to me that that guy was hearing from Satan and not God. Because by the time he was telling me that the Lord told him that I was not prepared to be a senior pastor because I never purchased a home, that was not true. I purchased four or five, and I flipped them. I, I, I already knew what it was like to purchase a home, so it wasn't like one of these things. It's like God effectively demonstrated that you're a fake. Kind of funny, many, many years later, he came out as a homosexual, all kinds of weird things. You know that guy wasn't walking with the Lord. But it's funny how people will come to you and they'll end up telling you, God told me this, God told me that, and God wants you to know this, and God, and, and so many people told me it'll never work. Folks, I gotta tell you this. It's hard to start a work. It's difficult to start a church, right? It's not easy. 
But let me tell you, it's almost like I was hustling people. God made it so easy, it wasn't even funny. I remember the first day when, when God had just told me, you're not going to start it in a home. Here, John Burroughs Elementary, I want you to start your first service right here. Well, what do I have to do to do that? You got to go. You got to get a permit from the city. You got to get a permit from the district. You got to get permission. That's what everybody said. You're nuts. That will never happen. You think you're going to start a first church service in two weeks at John Burroughs Elementary? Yeah, maybe after you go to court for three years, it'll never happen. So the Lord told me, walk into the district office. I walked into the district office. Still remember her name today. Linda, absolute sweetest girl in the world. Why do you want to, uh, you know, the elementary school office? And God said, tell her the truth. Don't even beat around the bush. Well, I'm a pastor. God gave me a vision. He told me that he wanted me to start a church and he wanted me to do it at Burroughs Elementary. And this lady said, look, honey, here's the thing. We have to get a permit from the city and we have to do this and we have to do that. I'll tell you what, let me handle all of that and I'll call you tomorrow. Easy enough. She doesn't call me the next day. She calls me two hours later. It's all buckled up. Don't worry, we got it. And we got you a great deal for Burroughs. You're only going to have to pay this much. Have fun, honey. She wasn't even a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. And the council member that openly supported us in getting a business permit for this building, when we moved into this building and we turned the warehouse into a sanctuary, was an open, flamboyant, homosexual man that never supported the church but decided to support us openly. Said, I love you guys. Now you tell me, did James have anything to do with that? I promise you, the answer to that was no. But I was raised by a mother and a father that told me that God will speak when he guides us and he leads us. And when it is his voice, the word that he shares will come true. And that's exactly what happened. And I remember like it was yesterday when this COVID nonsense began to happen. God told me, start making videos. Put it out on your Instagram account. You know, I had like a thousand people on Instagram. Follow. Not even that. It was that much because that many people were following me from the radio show, right? I never thought I'd even be on radio. And I started making the videos. I'd make one every single day. And I'd be really excited because like after I watched the video, after it got posted, if by day number three, I had five people watching the video, it was good. Because it meant that my wife watched. Uh, one of my friends did. Maybe my assistant pastor. That meant two extra people watched the video. It was like, great. And God told me, you keep making them and you're not going to stop making them. And this is exactly what I want you to do. And I want you to keep doing this. And then I had somebody come up to me from my staff and said, listen, James, we've had a YouTube page forever. It's only had one follower and we've never really done anything with it. But maybe you should transfer your videos over to there. Yeah, sure, whatever. Just do it. I'm not going to do it. You guys put it all up. You know, pretty soon we, we find ourselves in a place where here we are three years later. We have millions of people that watch us every single month on YouTube alone. And you stop for a second and you think, if I just did based on the, the ideals or the thoughts of man's philosophy, I would have never done it. But when you recognize the prophetic voice that comes from Almighty God, who has always kept his promises, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. All I know is that God wants me to do it. And when you do what God wants you to do, he fulfills the promise. Now, how can I have confidence that God was always going to do that from year to year to year? How in the world can I trust in God and know that his word was going to come to life? I remember the time, Sunday night, right here, I'm teaching through a spiritual warfare series. I had no desire to be in a, in a relationship, never been in a relationship in my life. And the woman that God had called me to marry walked right in from Riverside. She heard a Bible study and said, I got to marry this guy. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. 
But she came over here because she's an SLP and she's on her summer break. And she just thought, well, I love listening to James on the radio. And, and she actually thought I was married at, the t at that time. And she just came because she wanted to listen. I remember sitting behind the pulpit, watching her, sitting right there where James is, and thinking in my mind, that is the woman you're going to marry. And I'm thinking, bad pizza, that's nuts. Like there were mushrooms in that pizza and I'm hallucinating. No way. All right? Make a long story short, haven't even had a total of five minutes of a conversation with her. And in the next five minutes of my conversation on a phone call, I said, listen, stop. I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to play around. You know it. I think you know it. I certainly know it. God's told me that we're supposed to be married. What do you think about that? She's, well, 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 you know, a little overwhelmed. But I went to her father. I went to her mother. I went to her grandmother, her sister, and all the people that were close to her in her life. I proposed to her a month later, and we got married nine months later. And it feels like we've been married for 100 years, and not in the bad 100 years way. But in the way that just feels like, man, she is the woman for me. God gave her to me. She is the person. When you look at my precious children and all that God has done, how in the world can I believe so strongly in a voice that guides me and leads me? Because my whole life I was raised by a mother and a father who taught me that the prophetic voice of God is everywhere. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. And when you learn the prophetic voice in these books, you will feel more empowered to do the work of God because you have a unique and discernible understanding of the truth found therein. So Moses hears the call of God. He hears the voice and he acts upon it. And he does exactly what God tells him to do. And then there's a series of very prophetic things that happen with the 10 plagues. We don't have a time to really go through the 10 plagues, but if you study the 10 plagues that happened, the things that were necessary in order to allow the children of Israel to leave, you will begin to realize just how uniquely prophetic each and every single one of the plagues are. Can I give you two examples of some prophetic areas of these plagues? Perhaps one of the ones that get ignored the most. This one is just an amazing one, but it's absolutely true. Here's the thing. There are subtleties in these plagues that if you will stop for a moment to consider and recognize, you will realize there is something uniquely prophetic that you can walk away from and will drive you to a place of purity. How about this? How about God says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, get lost. No way. So what does God do? Frogs. They come everywhere. They're everywhere. Finally, the Pharaoh says, call them off, call them off, call them off. The frogs all die. What do the Egyptians do? They put them in heaps. They put them in heaps and they leave the mountains of frogs right there. The Bible says it. Your sin will find you out. There's a prophetic word given in that. God says you allow undealt with sin and it comes back to bite you. The sin that the Egyptians were following was they were worshiping those frogs. And because they worshiped their frogs, they could not bring it upon themselves to do what they know was best for public health, and that was to burn those pile of frogs. They didn't burn the pile of frogs. So you know what happened? Little maggots began to develop in all of those frogs. And it gave us another one of the plagues, the flies. And the funny thing about it is when you begin to stop for one moment and you begin to consider the prophetic communication and element associated with each of these plagues, you're going to recognize very quickly, God has a way of even warning us through Bible prophecy, doesn't he? 
It's pretty amazing. Then you get yourself to the firstborn. Now, I, I know I'm skipping a whole bunch because I could literally spend 10 weeks on just the plagues. I could spend one week on each of the plagues. But let's get to the plague of the death of the firstborn. Think about it. God, through Moses, tells the whole world, the Egyptians and the Israelites, the death angel is coming. He's going to come for everybody, even you, Israelites. So what do you have to do? You have to take a perfect lamb. Perfect. It can have no flaw. It can't be the one that had a broken leg anyway. So you were going to kill him anyway. No, it had to be a perfect one. And you had to kill that perfect lamb. And when you killed that perfect lamb, you had to take the blood of that perfect lamb and put it upon the doorpost of the house. And if you were the firstborn and you were inside of that house when the death angel came, it passed over. What people don't realize was that was prophetic of what would happen with the Messiah. The book of Hebrews tells us this. The book of Hebrews tells us that the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, who took away the sins of the world, his blood was shed. And the Bible says that his blood was sprinkled upon the doorpost of our heart, that the death angel, when he came, would pass over us, that we would experience eternal life. It was completely prophetic. The Passover feast itself was prophetic. You guys understand the fact that Christ was crucified on Thursday night? He was crucified on Thursday night because there were two Passovers. There was the special Passover on Thursday night. There was the other Passover on Friday, which is why Christ did not resurrect until Sunday. That's when they came to find him because when they came to find him on Sunday, that was the first time they could legally come to him because it was after the Passover. And you think about the picture of what that creates and all of the things that go with that, you begin to realize that even through the early story of the nation of Israel, we find things that point prophetically to Christ. By the way, understand this. Please don't forget it. We went over this in our lesson in Genesis. We talked about what that was all about. So just in the plagues alone, we begin to see a prophetic deliverance, right? It's a very powerful thing. And then when you begin to look at what happened with the Amalekites, the victory that happened with the Amalekites, as we read about in Exodus chapter 17, there is something very prophetic there. It relates to victory over the flesh. It also relates to the idea of the Lord speaking to his people and the necessity for his people to understand clearly and distinctly everything that is said. Because when they don't listen to it, then the problem is destruction, right? Or how about this? How about the promise that is given? where Moses is directed by the Lord to go ahead of them in the promised land. Do you think that there is a, a, a prophetic element there when they're instructed to understand that at night you'd see a pillar of, of, of fire, a, a stance of fire, and you would see smoke in the day? You'd see that cloud in the day, and when that moved, you know you needed to move? Understanding that God would protect them, right? God promised to establish their borders. Guys, listen to this. Listen to this closely, right? from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the Euphrates River. He mentioned it again in Exodus chapter 33, 15. He also mentioned it again in Exodus 34. He made that very clear. And isn't it interesting to see that God makes a promise that he is going to bring his people back in these last days to that land, never for them to be ripped out again and we are going to see an expansion of the borders of Israel, whether or not anybody wants to believe it, we are actually going to see it. 
And when we were talking about things like this before I was born in the 60s, people thought, yeah, that's crazy. The nation of Israel may have been reestablished in 48, but there's no way they're going to expand their borders. Boy, did they understand how wrong that was in the 60s and in the 70s, right? When those wars took place, especially in Yom Kippur War. I mean, imagine how that ended up happening and how it expanded their borders so substantially, right? You think about what God says in his word. Folks, he never gets this wrong. He never gets this wrong, ever. You've been listening to Pastor James Cadiz on Light on the Hill and part of our series in the volume of the book. We're going from Genesis to Revelation, emphasizing the many passages pertinent to Bible prophecy. You can access today's study and any part of the series you may have missed online at lightonthehillradio.com or listen to Pastor James through the Light on the Hill app. Are you enjoying Light on the Hill? Send us an email and let us know the station you listen to and what you're getting out of these programs. It means a lot and helps us see what God is doing through the radio and internet ministries. There's a place to contact us at our website, lightonthehillradio.com. If the Lord leads, we'd also appreciate your financial partnership. Each gift that comes in goes straight to the ministry, helping us to get the word of God out on stations and platforms like this one all across the country. Donate online at lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Have you seen the live shows and daily videos that we release on social media? Many of them relate to Bible prophecy and help understand current events with a biblical worldview. You'll find them at jamescadiz.com. Now, before we close, let's look at Leviticus with Pastor James. When you get into Leviticus, guys, we've talked about this. Look, Leviticus deals with three prominent areas, right? It deals with the laws of Moses. It deals with the laws of the priest. It deals with the laws of the tabernacle. And it deals with the feasts. And it's funny because when you begin to look at promises related to their laws, you begin to realize very quickly that almost every Jewish law that you see in Leviticus has some kind of prophetic element tied to it in one way or another, right? I think it's very interesting when you look at some of the rituals that result in ceremonial cleansing. You guys should probably look at passages like Exodus chapter or Leviticus chapter 14 or chapter 15 or 16 or 17 that deal with some of those ceremonial cleansing laws that actually relate directly to things that we are seeing manifesting to this very day. I mean, it's very interesting to think about the things that God says and the promises that God made versus the curses that he promised would take place. But perhaps the most significant of these areas are the feasts, right? When you look at Leviticus chapter 23 and you see the outlining of all of the feasts, understand this, you guys, all of the feasts pointed to something, right? And because we don't have the time, I will mention some of the major feasts and I will encourage you guys to look them up because they're all very important, right? So when we look at the Passover, the Passover was prophetic of what? The crucifixion of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. The Feast of Unleavened Bread represents not only the holiness of communion with Christ, right? Because of the absence of sin and leaven, but it also is the symbol of our covenant, Right? If you look at that, it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Is this it. And isn't it funny that the very first communion we ever read about in the Bible actually took place during that feast? You think about that for a second. When Christ breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples and he says, do this in remembrance of me. The picture is, it's a symbol of the covenant. By the way, the very first symbol of God's covenant to the Jews was what? The Shabbat, right? It was actually not to the Jews as a whole. It was literally the very beginning. It was to literally Adam and Eve. That was the first symbol of God's covenant. And the symbol of our covenant between God in the New Testament is communion. 
Did you understand that there's parallels to all of this in the Old Testament? Right? That feast tells us a lot about it. That's a big one, by the way. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Or how about this? The Feast of First Fruits. It anticipates Christ's resurrection, right? He's the first fruit of the dead that arise. Study that feast. That feast is very important, by the way. That's Leviticus chapter 23. That is in verses 9 through 14. You should look at that. That's important because you learn a lot from that feast. Or how about the Feast of Weeks? You know, a lot of people don't talk about the Feast of Weeks. That's another very important feast. Some of you might not know what its common name is, what you probably know it by, Pentecost. And if you think about Pentecost, what is Pentecost literally a predictor for? It points to what? The Holy Spirit, right? When you look at that, the Feast of Pentecost points to us towards something very powerful. And that's the Holy Spirit literally empowering the church to be a witness, to do what it was called to do. The Feast of Trumpets, this is a good one, right? The Feast of Trumpets is one that is terribly misunderstood. I have a lot of people say that the church will be raptured during the Feast of Trumpets. That's what a lot of people say. And I've heard people say, they make very good arguments about it. I've heard some very gifted intellectual Bible teachers that say that the church could potentially be raptured on the Feast of Trumpets. The problem is most of those guys that say that conflate the rapture with the second coming, right? Because the Feast of Trumpets is to be associated with the second coming and not with the rapture. Because if you look at the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets speaks of something very unique and very powerful. It anticipates the future regathering of Israel, right? And God does that final work the final, final work in the tribulation when he brings them back and they realize that the person that they thought was their Messiah was not their Messiah. They made the mistake and they go back. We'll get back to our series in the volume of the book next time on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Signal Hill online at lightonthehillradio.com and jamescadiz.com. I have That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is